It's Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> it is. Who Day. So Who Day uh, actually goes back a long time to the 80s when it originated. I don't know where it actually originated. Well, I know where geographically. I don't know what the origins of Who Day. So if you've heard Who Day, it's just a thing, right? It's like Who Dat for the Saints. And it's kind of the same deal, right? I don't know who was first. So we say Who Day. What does it mean? Who Day think going to beat them Bengals? Everybody for a long time. Um, so we're excited that it's Super Bowl Sunday. But here's the thing. That's actually not what today's about. So. But make sure this gets home because I'm going to want to wait that later. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. That's why I have the red shirt on. <laughs> and we celebrate love. And this time of the month is a time, this time of February particularly, is the time to celebrate love. And so, well, that's kind of the focus today. I mean, Valentine's Day, wearing red and having, you know, pink and all the little candy hearts and everything else, and you've been to the store maybe or remember what it's like to, you know, see all the things if you're not going to the store because you're getting everything delivered to you. You remember what it looks like to have all the little stuffed animals and flowers that are, you know, specific and balloons and whatever else on the display. Yesterday, I went into a store that carries a kind of ice cream that's available you know, it's from Cincinnati, so it's part of our celebration later. And I went to that store, and I walked in, and right by the door was all this stuff because it's Valentine's Day, which is also not really our focus today. Love is our focus today, so it's connected to Valentine's Day, but it's not romantic love of Valentine's, and it's not the love of a particular sports team that we're talking about today. As we continue in our series, Revealing Jesus, we see Jesus revealed through love, through how he loved and how he taught to love. And what we know is this, Jesus lived a life of love. Jesus loved all, everyone. John 3.16, quite possibly the, the most famous Bible verse because at sporting events, and maybe this will happen today when there's a field goal or an extra point that goes through the uprights and the ball is still sailing through. Somebody will hold up a poster, John 3.16, right there in between the goalposts. Maybe you've seen it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, or his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And 1 John says, by this we know love and points to Jesus. That same book, 1 John, talks about God is love. That Jesus is love personified. And Jesus loved all. So we can't look at the life of Jesus without seeing love in his teaching, in his actions, and particularly in his death on the cross. 
he loved. And in that love, he gave away everything. He gave up all that he had. He gave up his position and his power and his glory in Philippians. Chapter 2 describes it this way. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Meaning a thing to be held on to or, or a thing to cling to. He didn't count that as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, Philippians goes on to say in verse 7, by taking the form of servant being born in human, or being born in the likeness of men. He let go. He let go of what he had. He let go of that position and that power, and he did it for love. He became a person because of love. He took on human flesh and our frailty and our weakness. And how all that works is the infinite was contained in the finite is beyond our understanding. But Jesus became a person because of love. He had no home. He left his family. He didn't prioritize his desires. He let go. He lived a life that was given away. And he offers forgiveness even to his enemies. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, not because there was anything about us that was lovable even, that we were his enemies, and yet Christ died for us. He laid down his life for you and for me. There were Pharisees and soldiers around the cross and a crowd who had shouted for his crucifixion. And some of Jesus' words from the cross, Father, Forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. Forgive those who are at the foot of the cross. Forgive those who are taking this life from me. Forgive them. They don't know what it is they are doing. And those same words could be spoken about us. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for all the things that they've done. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know how much pain they're causing. They don't know how much difficulty they're even getting themselves in. See, this is how we know love. By looking at the life, the teaching, and the death of Jesus, that's love. And so we can listen to that teaching of Jesus today in this chapter 6 of Luke and learn how to love and how we can show love. Here's the first part of what Jesus says. Love your enemies. Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. That is counterintuitive. Later today, there's going to be this game 
And those guys on the field are going to be beating on each other and tackling each other and, you know, not trying to hurt each other, but it does happen. And that's sometimes what our lives are like, where we're in the competition and we're, you know, facing an adversary. And maybe it's not another person who's trying to knock you down and take away what you're carrying. But to that person, do you do good? When someone gets tackled on the field, it's almost always the teammate that helps them up, not the other team. But Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. In both Proverbs and Romans, it says this, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. Or if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Thereby, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, that is something I feel like I could get into. Heaping burning coals on the enemy's head. Because it sounds painful. That's what we want to do to an enemy. Catch their hair on fire. Interpretations of that include there's an Egyptian practice of carrying an ember or a coal in a container on the head um, as a show of repentance, a sign of shame. Now, did the writer of Proverbs and uh, the Apostle Paul have that in mind? Not quite sure that that's what they would have intended, but maybe the shame of receiving kindness leading to some guilt and remorse is what they had in mind. But there's another interpretation of it that I found interesting, that if someone had a fire that went out, people would live in community, right, and cook on fires, and so if the fire went out, they needed to ask someone for help was the easiest and fastest way to do it. Go to your neighbor and get a burning ember, and then you can carry that home and put it in your fire and then restart your fire. Then you're not starting from scratch, right? You've got something hot already. So the person would take that and put it in a container and possibly carry it on the head because that's how things are carried in a lot of the world and go on their way. And the neighbors, if they would see that, would think, okay, well, that person needs this help and would also add to that another ember and another ember. So that by the time the person got to the house, there was a collection of embers, not just one that they then had to work with. Do good to your enemy, and it's like giving them a whole pile of embers on the head. You've done over and above the good to your enemy. That's kind of striking. And it's an interesting cultural interpretation that I think might work. But Jesus' teaching, either way, no matter how we interpret that, is this, do not seek revenge. Again, counterintuitive. I mean, the Old Testament teaches an eye for an eye. And that sounds about right. (laughs) Or maybe... An eye plus a bruise for an eye. I think that's closer to how we want to live, right? Still today, we want putative justice. We want the bad guy to get what's coming to him. 
We want that person to suffer as much as the suffering that has been caused. And that's, you know, when we read the report of the crime that's been committed, maybe against some innocent person or some child, and we think that person needs to really suffer. And that's just our natural reaction. A lot of times in the movies, right? You got the bad guy who's like, again and again and again, like causing all this trouble and you know, getting away with it. It feels like, oh. And then finally, in the end, when they get what's coming to them. And that, there's Disney movies like that. It's not just, you know, Die Hard or whatever, but it's, that happens in Disney. Where like the evil queen or somebody who's like causing all the problems and Snow White or Sleeping Beauty is doing what they do. And at the end of it, you know, there's the, the retribution and the, and the pain and the suffering that happens when Mother Gotham falls out of the tower. This is tangled, just in case you're wondering. We're like, yes. What does Jesus say? Don't seek revenge. When I was a kid, my house was burglarized. I was young. I was probably four or five years old. And they took some things from our house. And it was, it was hurtful, right? Somebody had been in our home and taken things that belonged to us. It left us with this feeling of insecurity. Um, and, and, I mean, if you've been a victim of a crime, you know what that feels like, where someone took my stuff. And I remember as a child saying to my sister, who was two years older than me, when I grow up, I'm going to find those guys. And I'm going to get your piggy bank back. As if they'd still have her piggy bank, you know, 12 years later or whatever. When I, and I had this, like, I remember this clear vision that I was going to get on a sailboat and cross the Atlantic Ocean to find them. Because these were European pirates that came to Ohio to take her piggy bank. I'm not saying it's a logical argument. I'm just saying this is how I was as a kid. I was five. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Here in verse 29, in the Matthew 5 version of it, it says, you have heard it said an eye for an eye. He even puts it in the context of the revenge that we want to take. But I tell you to turn the other cheek. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek. And the other cheek we want to turn to him isn't on her face. You know what I mean. But that's what Jesus says. Don't take revenge. Do you have an enemy? Do you have someone who has hurt you? Someone that you can't seem to like? Someone that's just difficult. I mean, if you have an enemy, like a real enemy, like someone who's antagonistic toward you and, you know, causing you trouble and pain and hardship regularly, that's one thing. But for, you know, a lot of us, we don't really have that person that's, you know, knocking us down and trying to take the ball away. But for, for that, you know, if you don't have that enemy, maybe it's the person that's difficult. Maybe it's the person that's just frustrating or hard to love. Jesus goes on to say this, treat others as you want to be treated. Probably learned that as the golden rule, right? The golden rule, do unto others 
as you would have them do unto you. Treat others how you would want to be treated. We don't need that for people who treat us well, do we? We don't need that when if everybody's treating us well, then it's just easy and life is great. But what Jesus is saying is treat others how you want to be treated because that is how it's going to get better. Because when we have this an eye for an eye, well, maybe an eye and a cheek for an eye. And then that response is two eyes and a busted nose. And then it goes on from there. And escalating is what we just want because we've got that in our nature. And Jesus says, treat others how you want to be treated because that is what turns that around and takes us on a path toward love, toward generosity, toward goodness, toward peace. Treat others how you want to be treated. Verse 32 even tells us, even sinners love those who love them. Some people are easy to love. Jesus tells us to love the other ones too. And to love generously. So let go of your things. We often go to thrift stores. So a few weeks ago on a Monday, Paula and I went out to a thrift store Max is getting married in May, and so sometimes women wear dresses once and then give them away because you're not going to wear that dress again. And so we had this idea, well, you know, there might be something that you can find at a thrift store for like 10% of the cost of the department store. So let's just go look. So we went over to a thrift store, and we looked around, didn't find a dress. Found a book. Have you heard of Marie Kondo? She's the Japanese, like, um, clean your house up person. She's got a special on, or a series on Netflix, I think. Um, so we started reading the book. And here's what we're finding. We have a lot of stuff we don't need. We have a lot of stuff we don't want. Maybe you have the same. Be generous with your stuff and it's less likely that you have more than you need we have too many clothes we have too many books we have too much stuff now if you watch the hoarder show then you go okay well that's i'm not quite there it's not just a need to declutter our space though but because other people could use what we have that we're hanging on to that we really don't need I've learned a lot of generosity from my wife and even from my kids because I want to hang on to stuff. I don't want to necessarily get rid of, get, give up things. But this is what Jesus says in verse 29. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Now, in that context, he's still talking about the enemy thing. And if somebody takes away what you got, well, just give them more. Come on, Jesus, come on. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. That's verse 30. Be generous. Be willing to share. What do you have? What can you give? What resources are we clinging to because that's our security? Well, is that where security should be found? Be generous and give yourself away. 
That's where we really find the love of Jesus in our lives is when we give of ourselves. There's a man in our, um, the church where we were before in Oklahoma. Um, he's passed on since. Uh, but I remember one thing that he used to say when it was, you know, when we would talk about giving. He would say, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. That's good. Of our resources, of our time, of our abilities, of the things we can do. Following the one who gave his life for us, we can give ourselves away. Sacrificially. When we live selfless, generous, loving lives, we embody the love of Christ. And we can reveal Jesus through lives of love. So, today, enjoy the game. That's what I'm going to be doing. Tomorrow, if you have a Valentine, say Happy Valentine's Day. And celebrate romantic love, if you're blessed in that way. But each and every day, live a life of love in Christ. Giving sacrificial love that demonstrates the faith that we have in the Savior of the world. Love like Jesus. Amen.